Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Pilot Boys in the building, episode 74, Partha. Got a lot of uh, kind of more downer headlines to talk about today. I'm looking for <laughs> that's going to keep people listening. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we're hoping we're hoping to speak about them from a perspective. Um, the castle wider lens. You and I were talking about this beforehand about fully understanding a situation before jumping to conclusions and 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 making a decision on your position on things without gaining complete perspective of the story first it seems like we live in a culture where people are looking i I hate to say people are looking but we live in a a trigger happy society where people are triggered uh constantly and once you're triggered we know this just by studying emotions like once you're triggered it it reduces your ability to evaluate a situation rationally and logically that's just basic basic behavioral science right mm-hmm. um and so with that let's that's kind of what we want to do is talk about a, a wide range of stories that i think caused a lot of emotions in the last week and trying to understand them and come to a conclusion together on what our views are casting and and giving the proper context to each of those and i think the first story we're going to talk about is um, something that happened early on last week in the March when March Madness took off. Um, there's a men's basketball tournament and there is also a women's basketball tournament. Um, and headlines started coming out about the disparity in the treatment between the women's tournament. Well, first thing being that it's called the women's basketball tournament and the men's is called the college basketball tournament. <laughs> um, that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing um, was the disparity in the facilities uh, that they showed for the women athletes uh, versus the weight room for the men's athletes. Uh, the third thing um, was the food. The men had like pretty much an all-you-can-eat buffet. The women got like a small container of to-go food. And <laughs> The other thing being the, uh, there's quite a few things. The next thing being that um, the women's swag bag was like a little little tote bag, and the men received like a bed full of swag and merchandise. <laughs> and the final thing, of course, being that how they are testing the women's athletes versus the men's athletes, which is they're using antigen testing for women's athletes and the PCR tests for men's athletes. Bro, um, it it's got to have been set up by two different people, right? That that's that's the thing, right? That's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think everyone listening hears that and it's just like, come on guys. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, that's what you would hope, but I mean, this has become a big story. I let's let's clarify. I don't think any of our listeners were in charge of the tournament. No, they weren't. <laughs> and that that that's the the balance here, right? They're on one hand, the NCAA, they need to 
it, this was one conversation, right? They know that this is a sensitive subject. All issues of race, sex, all these things are sensitive subjects. All it took was one conversation saying, hey, let's make sure um, that everything is set up similarly, that the men and the women, it's a simple conversation, right? But you're right. You know, it was organized, like when it comes to the, uh, the testing, different states require different types of testing. You know, I do think that there are some legitimate gripes, right? Like in terms of if your weight, weight fitness and diet, um, are not equal, that's, that's something that I think is a legitimate gripe. Right. Um, and I think the other part of this is just fully understanding that capitalism drives a lot of things and how much money you actually generate sometimes does dictate the level and standard of care you're going to receive. That's just, that's just a reality. I think I sent you a, uh, sent you a article that Deloitte did, um, big consulting company, basically saying that the global sports market is $480 billion. And $1 billion of that is actually generated by women's athletics. Wow. Um, you know, I think it paints some interesting color, too. I heard the, the counter argument to this, which, you know, it's not a strong counter because it's, you know, objectively unfair. Um, and fairness is, is, you know, required. Yeah. But um, the one thing that I did feel held water is that the attendance of women to women's sports is really poor. Yep. And I think that's an area of, um, you know, marketing focus that a lot of women's sports can have, essentially getting all the athletes to push hard on their friends, on their communities, especially female communities, to come out and support women's sports harder. Because, you know, ultimately, people root for people that look like them, right? Like yep. That's, that's kind of how it works. Um, I think it's a big missed opportunity in women's sports and there's deeper issues for that. There's how they're budgeted, you know, who, who's, who runs them, how, how qualified are they? How, how do the politics around that work? There's a lot of reasons why generational generational sexism. It's fairly new, yeah. new, new for women's sports to be promoted and televised and uh, promoted in any way. Right. I think the only sports that I, I know are, are profitable, truly profitable, are women's tennis um, and women's soccer, right? Yeah. Um, the WNBA runs at a loss every single year. Um, you know there are other there are other organizations, and so those are obviously sex is an issue. It's like how do you separate historic from current issues, yeah. right? And that's a that's a deep discussion, right? That you bring up emotions, things come up when you when you discuss these things, but there are certain things and standards that the, that the NCAA specifically as an amateur organization does need to carry, you know, yeah. you know, you cannot allow somebody got fired somewhere and deserves to be fired somewhere. If the standards of, of diet for the men's is different than the standard of diet for women, someone deserves to be fired for that. And also, um, the other thing that I kind of saw was the weight room and the training facilities. These are nuts. I mean, like, come on, man. Like we run, these are simple conversations. Yeah. You're a so multi-billion dollar institution. Did you say they're being held in different locations 
or is the they're whole in, bubble in one area? They're in different locations. Where they're, do you know where? I think the women's tournament is in San Antonio. And the men's Indianapolis, but I think okay. there's, there's some satellite. Even then, there's a lot in San Antonio. You could use that Spurs facility. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like it's just a simple. Some of these things are simple fixes. Yeah, you know, and and it was it and what it comes down to, and this is the tough conversation that I think people who aren't in business don't understand as well. Because yes, we all should be sensitive. We all should care. But when it comes to economics, people are going to be more interested in what generates them more money. That's why the men's swag bag is bigger than the women's swag bag, because there are more sponsors who are interested in sponsoring the men's tournament. Because as you as you highlighted earlier, the ratings that women's sports generates, you know, versus men's sports, you know, um, and what the men's tournament does and as opposed to the women's tournament, you know what I mean? So once you get, get beyond like the basics, once you get to the, that level of things, that's when you've got to start having the, the, okay, let's, let's really talk about this. And I don't, I don't know if the conversation is fair because it's, a, as you can tell, I'm, I'm, choosing my words very carefully. And that's not because I'm scared of saying something that I don't mean. It's just that the fact that this is a sensitive subject, you know? What yeah. I mean? Well, I'll tell you like the upstart leagues that I know are doing a great job. So like the AUDL ultimate Frisbee, they have women's right alongside men's. I'm not sure the exact format in which they carry it. Um, but I just went to um, a pickleball tournament held by the PPA and pickleball fastest growing sport in America men's and women's side by side same same everything yeah. for everybody right just how it just what makes sense you know what i yeah. mean yeah and it's a it's like really surprising that the ncaa was so far off because you would think in to your point in today's era there would be somebody on patrol to make sure that they didn't do anything tremendously sexist yeah that's that's the way i <laughs> i look at it and then you know, the, the second part of this conversation, and this is a conversation that's had often, is what is fair? What actually is fair? If you look at college athletics, college football, men's college football, there's not women's football, obviously, um, and men's college basketball are the two sports that generate um, the most money, right? It's such an interesting dilemma that we face with the NCAA because this is supposed to be amateur athletics, but capitalism is involved in, in, in these sports, right? They have TV rights deals. They have, you can bet on these sports. And so within that market, that free market system, college football, college basketball, men's college basketball generate the most money. So how do you, then say, okay, but we've got to give equal funding to this other sport that's not generating as much money because we're this is the NCAA and this is amateur athletics and this is supposed to be you know a level playing field. Yeah, well, I think it's also like what what do you consider you know fundamentals, right? Because it's like things like what you eat, things like having a place to practice, like the, yeah. the essentials. Those are areas where it's very easy to um you know create equality 
And if yeah. you don't, it's, it's, you know, pretty strong oversight training facility, for example, having access to a gym. These are really, really simple things. When you get into the price packs, you know, like how nice the hotels they're staying in are because they can leverage the personas, of the athletes for more like yeah. all these different pieces, you know, that's where it's going to be hard to convince somebody that you should spend all that extra money to keep things equal because the viewership just isn't there on the women's side. And, and that really does need to pick up. And it has, it has started to pick up. I know a lot of people who are attending women's sporting events a lot more, you know, I do myself, I always have, but it's, it's become something I've been more intentional about doing in the last few years because so many of my friends not only play or are involved in it, but, you know, are vocal about how much, um, you know, they care about the support of, of people showing up. So it's like, I think it just takes people as a society voting that they care about this thing. But to your point, V, in this situation, there's several fundamentals that were missed. And, you know, there's no no way to really miss or excuse that. Yeah, you just have to. I mean, the NCAA has to eat it. They have to own it and they got to fix it and probably overcorrect for it. Because when things like this actually come to the light of day, it's going to make people think, hey, think that maybe this there's something deeper here than just a, a misstep by the, org- the organizers you know what yeah I mean? and it's instagram that's outing them you yeah. know what i mean it's all these stories that are outing them well and that's that's the day and age we live in right like you can anybody can be a journalist and post a story from their vantage point yeah um and that can suddenly become the mainstream view of what's happening you know and i think that Straight that's up. You know, there's a situation that require context. I do think that the larger conversation is always one that's worth having. But what I don't want to happen in this scenario is for something that was an oversight, maybe organizationally, to be cast into, okay, well, they don't care about the women athletes, you know. Um, and I think that also stunts the progress that has been made, like, there has, like you said, there has been a lot of pro- progress. Like the fact that the women's basketball tournament is televised, right, is is a big deal. You know what I mean? They have a TV deal. Um, those are things that you can you can put your energy into supporting um, to help help women's athletics and help the cause of women um, continue to grow. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of March Madness, you know, we had a yeah a devastating loss. We don't need to talk about it. But um, <laughs> on the uh, dark side of it, um, EJ Liddell playing for Ohio State got some death threats uh, after the loss. You know, some over the over the line fan behavior for sure. Um, definitely shows that you know just being a a college athlete may not be as amateur as people think. Yeah, and I think that that is the real story here, right, is when I look at this, I'm like, I feel for him still because I'm able to reconcile and understand because I interact with these guys. He's still a 19, 20-year-old kid, right? But like you said, because of the, the, the size and power of the Ohio State brand and the college athletics brand, he's considered an amateur as an athlete. But the truth is he's a public figure, right? And there are so many there's so many factors that there there are people who lost a bunch of money betting on that game who are angry. 
you've got people who are annoyed and frustrated with just generally the fact of the love and attention and adulation that athletes generally get. So when there's an opportunity to to uh, bring take them down and you have a public format like Twitter where you can reach everybody is accessible, pretty much anything can be said to them. Um, and then the question then becomes like, should we be doing more to protect these kids or do we just need to, because I feel like all bets are off once you get to the pro level and you're being paid. Um, I think that changes the dynamic a little bit in terms of what you should be receive. But I don't think that this is uh this is fair that EJ Liddell is, is receiving this. And I think the right in front of your face way to look at this is just to blame the perpetrator but there's a cultural thing and many variables um, that play into it, including, you know, the role that an institution like Ohio State as an academic institution plays. This is this this is a professional basketball team in terms of you're able to bet on the games, your your school's generating money through TV deals and sponsorship for them, but they're not are you protecting them properly? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think on the flip too, I mean, social media gives a lot of people access, right? So it's like, if I'm, you know, if I'm an athlete going into college right now, the, yep. the calculation is different than it used to be in yeah. terms of the amount of exposure, what you have to deal with, like choosing to play college ball, especially D1 college ball, and especially D1 college ball at a major school, it's a public spot. And so, you know, you do have to handle this type of stuff that comes your way. Like when you get to the NBA, it doesn't get any better. It gets much, much worse. So, yeah. you know, as a society, I think it's more of a symptom of how we th how we think we can treat people who have a lot of following or that, you know, they might not hear what we're saying or they might not care. But, you know, all of those words are read. And so, you know, on, on two fronts, you know, all of us as individuals can um, you know, go that extra mile when we see somebody who's going through it to say something positive to them, even if it's on social media, they might not ever see it. Chances are they probably will read it and it'll help. You know, that's one side of it is you can lift people up the same way people get pulled down. The second side is if you're in that position and you're thinking about what you want to do for a living, just to acknowledge that sports is entertainment. And so it comes with different, different yep. burdens beyond just the game. Yep, that's a that's a fair way to look at it. And you know, I think Charles Charles Barkley brought up like this is why I don't I'm not on social media. And I think although that you know that's that's an easy fix, um, but for someone like Charles Barkley, he had already he's already made his name in an era where social media didn't exist, and he's able to function without it. A lot of these kids, this is what they know. And this is how they build their brands and their profile up to be able to generate revenue for themselves and their families. Um, so I don't think that the solution is, hey, keep these kids off social media either. It probably is just understanding that you have to grow up much quicker um, when you are a college level star athlete playing in a, in a high profile sport. And we wish the world wasn't the way that it is, but the truth is the world is full of insecure, hateful, and unhappy people. Um, and sometimes when they get an opportunity to steal someone else's joy, they work very hard to do that.
especially when they can hide behind a keyboard and not say it to their face. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's important also to highlight that, you know, the goal with these people isn't to knock somebody else down, but it's to like let off some of their own pain. Right. So like a lot of these actions that have these consequences are more uh, what I would call ego driven. They're more driven by what we're experiencing internally and how we react to that and put it out into the world, which you know, just another reminder, when you keep a positive headspace, it creates positive outcomes. Definitely, definitely. And you never want something as, as joyous as March Madness um, to be overshadowed uh, by something like this. Um, and we wish EJ Liddell well. We um, were very proud of his performance. He did everything that he could to help us win, not just that game, but throughout the season. Um, and sometimes you got to encourage people when they're down more than you pile on to your, your already unhappiness. It destroyed my bracket because <laughs> 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 I had Ohio state going to the final, but you move on and you understand that the kids got to come, come back and play again. And so, for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, it's so funny too, cause I don't watch any college basketball personally. No. Oh. No, I just I watch so much NBA. the The level of quality of athlete and game is so much lower in college. It's just not, and that's not interesting. That's that's the other part of this March Madness conversation. Getting away from these two kind of hot button sensitive subjects is just the reality. You know, all these brackets are being busted. There's no, you know, Kansas lost by like twenty five points yesterday. You know, and and North Carolina didn't um, get out of the first round. Duke didn't make it into the tournament. When you watch, I'm a basketball fan, and college basketball was something that I used to watch equally as much as I watched NBA NBA ball. But when you watch these college games, even the March Madness games, you're watching some really, really bad basketball. Bro, it's like they can't make a shot sometimes, like for minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't, I, I just like, I watch it and I'm just like seeing four guys stand completely still, one guy dribble, and then they pass it around the perimeter for like the whole shot clock. They try to drive and then they take a contested three and miss it. And then it's the next possession. It's funny. The only team that I really see as like a complete basketball team in this tournament is Gonzaga. So I haven't watched enough to know, but I believe you when you say that because you know the game. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, there's some other good teams. I like Oregon. Um, and I like, I like, um, Baylor and Michigan actually surprisingly, um, they are good teams, but you know, as the tournament has shown that not only is the the quality of the game gone down, but there isn't even the teams at the top their uh, their the quality of game has, has declined there as well. And it's just, hopefully they figure it out and fix it because March Madness truly is probably the best sporting event um, that we see in America every year. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I necessarily fall into that fandom, but you do UV. Yes. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> Moving forward into some business. Uh, we had this article come out this week about Kanye being valued at $6 billion and then immediately changed to $1.8 billion. Yeah. Um, so that's cool i guess uh articles like this to me are so pointless because i mean it's not drawn this is not a valuation drawn on anything you know really reasonable this is just a a 
someone going on Google and trying to guess. Yep. And it's also, uh, the thing that bothers me about these articles is that there used to be a thing in journalism where you had to verify something with two sources. <laughs> now people know by like somebody who some overzealous writer was like, if I put out that Kanye has 6 billion, it's going to generate a lot of traffic and a lot of noise and a lot of clicks for a lot of people. That's actually how I think this thing was thought through. Okay. Let's say Kanye is the richest black man ever. Like that's where you get all these things. If you just say Kanye is worth 1.8 billion, it's, it's still huge and a huge accomplishment but it doesn't generate the same level of, of headlines as saying that he's suddenly worth $6 billion. And then the consequences of putting out a false or misleading art article probably are next to nothing. That guy will probably be probably oh, yeah. article, or wrote an article the next morning. You he know? probably got a bonus, man. Yeah, Let's think exactly. about how many clicks he brought in. Yep. This is so funny, too, because you know that writer was sitting there in the room and they were like, are you sure about this calculation? That's a lot. And he was just like, listen, man. I interned at an investment bank in college before I decided <laughs> to become a writer. I know my numbers. And everyone was just like, that's good enough for me. Yep. <laughs> and they ran it. Yep. And they were so off. Like, that's a power of, like, five. Yep. yep. That's a lot, man. Yeah. It's a significant. A billionaire is a billionaire. And we both appreciate the the challenge of even getting to that status, right? But it's uh, it's 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 not a it's not a good situation and the victims of this uh may not be uh may not be apparent but it's 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 not fair to anyone involved to uh to mislead people like this yeah now let's talk about uh we had a couple bits of gun violence this week you know the american way um we had that shooting in atlanta that sparked a huge rise in um asian what well, I guess you would say Asian anti-racist sentiment, uh, followed by a shooting in Boulder, um, which happened. That was yesterday, right? Yeah, it was yesterday. At a this is store. this is Tuesday. We're recording this. Yes, at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, ten people died. So crazy times. Um, you know, I'll I'll kind of point out my probably controversial opinion and then we can settle into the topic i mean obviously you know all condolences to everybody involved that's that's terrible and uh it's always sad to see these types of things happen in this country i think it's a signal of mental mental instability whenever we see these things on the shooter's part and you know there's always uh, unfortunate consequences but um you know at the same time what's been interesting for me is to see the uh, desire for so many people that I know of Asian descent, whether it's, you know, Asian or Indian, I'm kind of lumping that all into one, one bucket here. Uh, but people from that continent, um, and the subcontinent of India to see people I've never, ever, ever, ever heard talk about racism or anything yep. like that, all of a sudden get on their high horse was, honestly a joke to me because it just felt like people wanted something to get mad about but there's no real story or investigation into who are the families of the people who were the people that were killed nobody has talked about any of that nobody's talked about what's going to happen were there kids that are that need to get taken care of you know this is the stuff that 
we should all care about as a, as, as a society like should we be yeah. you know helping these kids get get their bills taken care of you know what i mean like do they need to go see other relatives like what's the deal like there's there's important stuff to talk about and everyone wants to get on their anti-racist you know everyone's racist against asians horse and frankly i just don't think that that's as robust an argument as it may seem from the surface level and i think like it can lead to victim mentality which is a really really fast way to lose your empowerment and your own individual power in this world yeah i think uh you know i think the data is the data we you know we can't be foolish enough to say that um the behavior of of the last president the ignorance generally of our culture when it comes to issues of race and lack of cultural awareness which is something I never understood. Like if you live in America where which is one of the most diverse places in the country, when you go to school, you should be pretty well educated on the different races that you will be interacting with, the different cultures you will be interacting with, because the truth is this is a melting pot society. There is no such thing as a real American. We're all immigrants here. Um, so that's, that's one part of the issue. And there's definitely been an increase in violence toward Asians, specifically Asians that, you know, bear a resemblance to um, anyone that's Chinese. That stuff is happening in real time. But I think also that, like you said, sometimes I think we and media specifically um, – takes advantage of the society that we're in and how sensitive we all are to certain issues and certain topics um, and and pours gasoline on that fire. Um, in every sense of the way, it's not accidental now that they write the headlines when it is a Caucasian shooter differently than how they write the headlines when it is a minority. They know that that is going to trigger people when they see the headline is you don't think they know you don't think they they want to they they're like okay every time we release an article and it's a white shooter we get a whole bunch of feedback on social media and from people saying hey why are you framing this story differently when it's a white shooter versus when it's a minority shooter like that's obvious that's being done intentionally let's not be foolish about that and then the the other point that you made i think it is it bothers me as well when i see minorities in this country who spend a, and you and I are very aware of these people who spend their lives being very ignorant to the racial differences in this country, because some of us are labeled my model minorities, et cetera, et cetera. We, we ignore race, but then when it comes to our doorstep, we expect everyone to be as sympathetic to us as we're not sympathetic to others. Like it's, it's, and we're not as sympathetic to others when it happens. And I think that that's also an issue that I find with race. All, all racial injustices are equally, are equally awful, right? Like we shouldn't, we obviously live in a country that's called the United States of America and that is supposed to have a meaning. It obviously doesn't. Um, but we're, we're just living in times that are very polarizing. And it seems like whether it's race, whether it's socioeconomics, it seems like the narrative of division is the most profitable and most powerful thing in media right now. 
And that's why we're seeing it in real time. And it's having a real impact on how we deal with each other, how we interact with each other. Families are being divided. Friendships are being compromised. There's a lot going on here. And it's it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is. Yeah, I think there's also, you know, this notion I want to address about, um, you know, virtue signaling in general on social media, which ties into this. Um, there's this argument I hear a lot about using your platform. And to your point, V, people not, you know, wanting to deal with racism until it gets to their doorstep, you know, using your platform to fight racism doesn't mean you're, you know, having a, a grand ass time and in the middle of some party you were at or you were at a beach house with your friends, you saw this thing happen, you reposted it, you know, that you didn't do anything to yeah. make anything better. That all that did was try to signal to the world that you care, but you don't actually care. You're just going to go back to your party and live your life. So, you know, if that's what you're on beyond that, you know what I mean? Like nobody's asking you to step out of your lane in a significant way beyond just to empathize and understand what's going on. But you also don't need to broadcast that to the world. You can just be a woke person and keep that to yourself. You know what I mean? But it's the insecure that find that need to you know share with the world what they stand for. And I think like a better way to show what you stand for is if, if it really upset you, you know, show up somewhere and, and yep. make a difference, you know, use your feet and you know, make a difference. Just go show up somewhere to, I know if it's protest, I don't know if it's to have meetings with certain key stakeholders. I mean, if everyone who was so guilty about being a model minority, you know, a year ago is now the victim and it's exhausting, man. Like you can't be both sides at once. No, you can't, you know, and that's, that's, that is the, the, I don't, I don't, you bring up very good points. The, the question and that I have is, is there even a fix for this? Right. At the end of the day, like I've gotten to the point now I've gone through different phases in my life where I was very active and active and loud in terms of when I saw, you know, any sort of, uh, any sort of racial discrimination, I, I spoke up and I said something. But I think now that I'm I'm looking at it, I'm saying this is a reality we just have to live in, and either you have to adjust to it and and rise above that you're in your own life and in the circle that you can control, which is what you have around you. But is society really going to change? Are we going to wake people up that want to be ignorant? I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a it's definitely a, a worthy cause, but is it an effective cause? You make such a good point there, V, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's the big question is, will this stuff actually have an impact? You know, I tend to be more on the cynical side of this camp where I I just don't really buy into it because it feels so fake. But if people actually care and go out of their way to make a difference, it, it always has some sort of impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, that being said, it's a worthy cause to want to make the world better. I just think that there's better ways to make the world better than posting under social media. So, you know, if we were to discount everybody that's just about the motions and not about, you know, the action, and we we were to address everybody, this is mo- most likely, you know, a lot of people that listen to us. If if you're in the box of people who, you know, is not about the fake stuff, you're really trying to make some change. You're really trying to be about what you stand for have some conversations with some people, start learning the issues better, start understanding, and you'll find ways you can make impact. You definitely, you definitely will. 
you know, and that's the, uh, that's, that's the reality, um, that we have to deal with too, is that what really pisses me off too, is I do know people who are really fighting and doing real work. And those aren't the people that are getting the attention. It's, no. it's, it's the celebrity on, on Twitter who, you know, says something or decides that they want to donate a couple million dollars or whatever it is that suddenly when a specific action happens, they respond to it. Right. It's like, and responsive behavior generally doesn't lead to effective results. Proactive behavior does. Right. Yep. And, and that is the, the issue that we have with the social media generation that bothers me is there are so many people who want to, who want to broadcast where they stand, but not enough people actually taking stands. Yes. Preach, dude. Preach. Look at that. <laughs> That's Come a here. bar, dude. That's a bar. Drake, watch out. <laughs> Moving forward, by the way, this is how V writes the notes before we do the show. Miami inundated by stupid, ignorant spring breakers. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel about that, V. <laughs> well, I generally think we all have a stupid phase in our lives, right? It depends on how long <laughs> that phase lasts. I am not je- taking shots at these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who want to have a spring break and go and have fun. That is perfectly okay when there is a virus that is highly contagious and that could kill you going around, you should probably exercise some caution, but there are plenty of 18, 19 years old, old kids that think they're invincible. So I don't want to hold them too accountable. This goes back to the fact that they, this is about the government. This is about the system in which these people are allowed to come into South beach, right? Like nobody said, Hey, you know, we're going to have, we're going to limit the capacity of people that come to Miami this weekend. We're going to like, you knew that this was going to be a problem after what happened last year and everyone kind of being stuck inside for a year. What are kids going to do when they get a spring break? They're all going to flock to Miami, Florida. And so there's only so much blame. And in these articles, we, and the way people talk, yes, these kids are stupid, they're ignorant. And it's okay for them to be stupid and ignorant. They're not truly mature adults. But the adults in the room, this is just a reminder of why we remain behind in terms of getting rid of this virus and solving the issues. Is just that our, our infrastructure and systems that are in place do not manage these scenarios well. And back to the topic, they're reactive instead of proactive. Yeah, and I will say the Miami government is playing you know, playing the whole pandemic in an ingenious way. Um, I, I know more people that have moved to Miami recently yep. than anywhere else. Uh, everyone wants to go visit there. A lot of people I know are spending time there. Um, yep. I mean, it is popping. Everyone's having a great time. It's like the vacation from the masks and all that yep. stuff that people don't want to deal with. And, you know, I mean, nobody I know who's gone to Miami has gotten sick. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there, but people see me having people see me having a pretty good time. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like if you're if you're a city, you want wealthy people in your city because you get higher taxes. You want people who buy big houses because they'll fund nice schools with property taxes. You want uh, people who spend a lot of money because in a state like Florida, you have higher sales taxes. 
Um, so you want a lot of uh, people who you know are trying to. That's why their tax system is set up how it is for the state of Florida, trying to reduce their federal or their overall tax burden. But their lifestyles are enriched, and so you're collecting your tax money on that front, right? And Miami has just done an amazing job in the last year attracting those types of people. And for the future of the city, I actually think you know there's a chance it could bypass whether it's Austin or Atlanta for that you know number three, you know maybe even Chicago could get passed here for it's like number number four, let's say number four, because you've got San Francisco, LA, and New York, the number four city in America to number do business. Number four is, uh, is Houston, and number five is Chicago, I believe. Yeah, so then you've got Atlanta and Miami who've been trying to get into the mix there. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I mean, I think that the new Miami mayor is a super down-to-earth guy. He DMs all these startup founders. He's really aggressive about recruiting. They're doing a good job over there in terms of being able to set it up better than it was prior to uh, COVID. Yeah, I know, but the recent data is showing that their big dreams may not be so true as they were hoping to attract most of the financial institutions from New York down to Miami. And initially there was a hope there, but it doesn't seem like that is actually going according to plan. Uh-huh. Now, this, you know, I hear you when you, when you, you highlight the economic returns on this thing, you know, and that's just like saying that, you know, capitalizing on a situation, the truth is, and I keep highlighting this to people is that as the most developed nation in the world, we are been one of the worst at managing and handling this pandemic. We would have been out of this scenario much sooner than we have. It's unfortunate because I I even hear some of the people who are hesitant to take vaccines, but now we're at a point that the only solve really is for everyone to take a vaccine um, to stunt this illness and this this disease. I know multiple people who have died from this disease, um, and it's just not it's just not something that I think is healthy in the sense that when you live in a country for individual states to be taking positions based simply on what their financial goals are when you're dealing with a pandemic that is impacting our culture and our society, our overall ability to move forward in any sort of real way business-wise. And that, and it's as simple as, okay, maybe it's not safe for us to have more people that can actually fit on than can actually fit on Ocean Drive for a weekend. Let's set some capacity restrictions instead of just saying, hey, we're this open oasis during a time, during this time, and the disease is being spread heavily in Florida um, as well. So I don't, I don't, I hear you in terms of, hey, this is very smart business, but it's short term. It might be smart from a short term perspective, but I don't think that the long term there's a there's really a long term story here because like I said, the city isn't the city isn't improving its infrastructure. They're trying to draw people to what they have, but there's more than just saying, "Hey, we're open and we have good weather." And that's why I think Miami, for as attractive of a place as it is, it has not reached that level that it should have reached by now. Because I do think that it should be one of the top markets in the country, 
and it just isn't. And a lot of it has to do with poor infrastructure, poor government. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, I I think that to your point, infrastructure improvements are the key to the next step of, you know, becoming that place. And so, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, there's been a lot of cities that have had the hype and not really pulled through. You know what I mean? Atlanta comes to mind because I spent so much time there. It was a city that everybody thought was going to be like the next big thing and just kind of was a dud. So, you know, you've got a lot of factors that play into that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how different cities go through different strategies based on, you know, the values that they have. And, you know, the biggest thing that's been so weird about the pandemic for me is like, it's something out of a history book, right? So when you look, look, you know, there's kind of two ways to think about it is one, you know, return to normal life as soon as possible, or two, this is something that's going on almost like a wartime and you make your moves through that lens. And so I think we're seeing both types of actions out of people um one group kind of gets into the scarcity mindset and is like okay cool it's wartime you know i need to come away with more as much as possible the other group is more abundance mindset and it's like yeah i'm cool to chill for a little bit take a little sacrifice for the rest of the team that's 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 really what it comes down to right like i'm not i'm not depressed about the fact that i had to stay indoors more this past year i i'm someone that loves traveling probably more than 90% of this, this country. <laughs> but at the same time, if it's for, if it's a it's short-term pain versus long-term gain mindset, right? I would rather have this thing fixed and stunted and solved so that life can go back to normal as quickly as possible. And I know you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur, but you're also a scientifically developed entrepreneur. So let me ask you this question. <laughs> Um, why do you think we have a culture that is so resistant to following science and following, following advice from people who are experts? Um, why do you think our society has such a problem with that now? Because scientists are wrong a lot, you know, and they're, they're cocky, they're egotistical and they make other people feel dumb. So they, they've lost respect in society, in my opinion, you know, because if you think about what happens to somebody who takes the path of becoming a PhD in anything, yeah. they lose the personal development side of life. Yeah. They don't have any real world experiences. They don't have anything out of the context of what's in their textbooks and the frame in which they're taught to approach the world. So they never become independent thinkers. They always think within a set of constraints that were taught to them. And so the problem with scientists is that they apply expertise in one field, uh, that that understanding that they can be very, very good at a very narrow, you know, kind of range of things. They apply it to everything and they leverage the fact that they're good at this one thing to, you know, have you think that they're good at everything. And, uh, you know, as a result, they're just wrong a lot. Plus, the personality type tends to be overly conservative. So the recommendations or the solutions that they suggest are typically not realistic from a financial standpoint for anyone involved and so there's a there's a big gap between that and you know what would be the flip which is like the practicalist who only wants you know whatever makes sense and misses on maybe what understanding of a subject or kind of greater perspective in in a field could lend them right they're operating on such a small micro level they don't understand how their actions contribute to the whole picture you know what i mean so there's there's two sides of it and i think it's important for the regular person to have 
insight and understanding into some basic elements of science and to know in general, you know, how different things work to be able to do some research and pick it up. But, um, you know, I think in the big picture, in, especially in America, I think that, you know, science has not done what it needed to do. If you look at what is primarily being used for in our society, it's primarily being used to manipulate the public into buying products. If you look at all the food yep. studies, the agriculture studies, a lot of this stuff, there's very little unbiased science out there, but scientists act like the most unbiased and you know worldly people you'll ever meet. And so that there's a lack of self-awareness there in the field, in the profession that um, it, I, I feel has made it lose its status in society. Yeah, I, I agree with you in this sense is that I do not think that scientists, their responsibility primarily should be to do research and, and be non-biased, right? So the fact that in our society, we put a microphone in front of these people and ask them to speak without having some filter between their scientific studies and, and the PR which is how does it get disseminated to the public in a way that the public can be embraced. That is something that is, that is systematically is a simple fix that we don't fix. Right. Um, I think sometimes some people want to march the scientists out there um, to protect themselves from being asked questions. Um, and then the, the, the flip side of this is that you're right. Science isn't always right, but, there also is, as you said, the faction of people who just live in this world where because we have social media and everyone's opinion matters, it's almost like it's immediate. The immediate thing is to to question and be skeptical about something without ever looking in the mirror saying, do I even have the ability or cognitive ability? Have I done the work to be able to take an opinion on this either way? Yeah, I, I'll, the reason, you know, I feel strongly about this is because of um, we have a lot of people that love what we do as a brand at Lasso. Yeah. We also have a lot of people that do not take the time to ever ask a single question and immediately start to hate because they don't believe what we do is possible in terms yeah. of, you know, what, a, like how we structure apparel to support the body. Right. So yeah. we'll run ads on Facebook sometimes and we'll get comments like, Oh, I'm a PhD in this field. I'm I'm this type of, you know, trainer or like doctor or whatever and there's no way this is possible. And I'm like that's great that you're a doctor. It means you have a great understanding of the body. How much do you know about apparel? Cuz I know a lot more about apparel than you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like how are you qualified to comment on what's possible within the realm of textile manufacturing as a physician? You know? And I think that's where I have beef with science in general is the desire to have your voice heard so much that, you know, you're just incorrect. Well, you hit the nail on the head in terms of lack of social development. Yeah. Um, because both of us know some really, really book smart people, high level, high level PhDs, physicians, but they don't get the element of social awareness uh, that's necessary. And quite frankly, that's what holds so many of them back, not just in terms of reaching their goals, but also in their personal lives and how they interact with other human beings. There's a, 
a hubris that I think um, happens too often. Um, yeah. That they want to be because they're told that they are authorities. They think that no other opinion matters. And they spend a great deal of time, even amongst themselves, disagreeing um, versus trying to work together to come come up with a solution. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's that's an extension of human nature and society. It's like everyone's operating from a place of insecurity. You're given a title and suddenly you think that you're more special than someone else because you you have that title. Everybody's welcome to their opinion, right? Yeah. And, and your job is not to prove to everyone that you're right all the time. It's give people the information from your perspective that you've studied, but also acknowledge that you may or may not be right. Simple. Yep. Yep, exactly. And you know, I think that just to just to kind of wrap this one up, the thing with science is that people who are in science expect you to take it as the sole way to to run your life, right? So if the data says this, we're going to do that. Then how come studies change, you know, what we should be doing so often, right? Every few years the opinion changes, right? So if I am to prescribe my life to data, that my life is ever changing and there is no actual true, you know, truth or fact to this yeah. world, right? Because you know as little as I do. You just think you know more because you have data on it. So, you know, in my view, science is like one tool in your belt. And you also have, you know, self self-reflection, introspection, um, you know, self-awareness. You have philosophy, you have religion, you have friends and family, and you have mentors. You have a lot of different ways in which you can gain perspective on the world and build a stronger sense of morality right and wrong and also effectiveness or you know lack of effectiveness of certain methods of getting from a to b whatever the context is right science is one tool and it does not need to be your only tool and i think that's where a lot of people fall short definitely definitely yeah um, um you know jump this thing forward uh, we got to talk about Deshaun Watson, man. Yeah, this is a this is a crazy story, you know. And when I hear these stories, I through personal experience, not personal personal experience, but through my network, I know I look at these things through a different lens. Um, and we live in a culture now in which I think a lot of people. Um, take for granted um, the real damage that accusations themselves have. Um, this situation is obviously if Deshaun Watson, you know, give context, almost 20 lawsuits being filed by different massage therapists saying that he was sexually inappropriate to them. Uh, and this, all the suits are being filed by one Local trial attorney in Houston who I am familiar with named Tony Busby, who is um, a known kind of class action lawsuit type lawyer um, and kind of fits the profile um, and stereotypes, actually encourages them on his social media, <laughs> social media profile, living and flying in private jets and all kinds of all kinds of like it's a, he's a lifestyle oriented attorney, um, mm -hmm. to be frank. Um this is a, a, a touchy situation because 
obviously the worst case scenario is that this is true um, and that these women were, this was done to the, to these women. And if that is the case, then Deshaun Watson should face criminal charges, not just civil um, financial issues. But this story is so crazy because you don't know that it's true and that there's also a culture um, amongst celebrities and professional athletes specifically of people who are trying specifically to find ways to either blackmail or hold people hostage for money. And in this story, the thing that bothered me is that none of these people came forward and pressed criminal charges. And again, I am aware of the fact that many victims never report the crimes due to embarrassment and stuff like that. But the fact that this attorney first came and basically he came out and he said it in an interview. He said, we tried to settle with Deshaun Watson before all of this came out and he refused the settlement. So if you're really, you're this crusader who cares about women's rights and making sure women are protected then why was your first step to try to get a $100,000 settlement before you started defending all these women? So it, that gives me pause um, as well. And what I think is unfair completely is that I do not think any of these things should come out publicly. Lawsuit charges unless, until they've been proven, they're given some corroborating evidence, because regardless, this is going to damage Deshaun Watson's brand and career, even if he is innocent. Many people have already made the decision about him and because he is a public figure it's out in the public space now it's a good point you know i wonder if in the future because of how public these things are these days if uh there will be privacy installed in certain states where uh you know if you are charged with something it won't be released publicly like that yeah unless you've been fi- especially if it's not there's no criminal charges i guess filed. i guess it's- yeah not charged yet but accused yeah, yeah. and, and- and there's a difference between the civil and criminal courts, right? And the fact that there have been no criminal charges pressed on him by anyone yet, and the fact that this is now we're hearing about these 20 civil lawsuits, most the general public, I'd say, either some some people think he's innocent, but a lot of people are probably saying, "Oh wow, this guy's a he's rapey," you know? Wow. And that's uh that's a. That's an unfortunate reality of these things. I think the fix is fairly simple. You don't, don't disclose things publicly, and there should be penalties if those things are disclosed publicly before people have been given their fair day in court, especially when there are no criminal charges, active criminal charges being pressed. Yeah. Yeah, straight up. Well, on that note, we'll take a little break. You guys will hear a couple ads. Um, in the meantime, maybe think about our Patreon, which, uh, you know, is very thankful for your support and, and love. It allows us to keep doing things like this. Uh, we just recently brought on a new uh, producer, Alex Heller, who is helping us to take Pilot Boys to the next level. Uh, so lots of exciting updates coming. Uh, we will be back after this short break to get into an in-depth topic. Uh, this week is one suggested by V through our many group texts, and uh, you may have previewed it on his TikTok. It's the difference between being an owner and taking ownership. We'll see you shortly. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast.
Hey guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes the Lasso Sock 2.0, the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding. So every single step is stable, soft, and cool. Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. V, the difference between being an owner and taking ownership. What does this mean, man? I saw the TikTok, but I want the context. Well, I think the the context is that we live on a, you know, obviously we encourage entrepreneurship and that's kind of our a niche audience for us. And we live in a time now specifically with the pandemic that a lot of people are looking at entrepreneurship and being their own boss and taking ownership of whatever it is that they want to take ownership of in their, in their life. And I think that we have a cultural disconnect between the title of being an owner and doing your own thing versus what actually taking ownership of your thing entails, right? There's a lot of social media glorification of entrepreneurship culture, of of being your own boss, you know, quotes, tweets, all kinds of stuff. But I think for those people, and I think our audience, we have people who who really want to be entrepreneurs and run a business. And I think it's important to understand that there is a lot more struggle, especially initially, than there is glory. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more loneliness than there is adulation. And when I say ownership, I mean taking ownership of your business means that you're willing to wear every single hat in the business if need be. You own the good, the successes, but you also have to own the failures. Yep. You have to own the work and you have to almost ignore the outside noise. And that's what taking ownership is. It's there's there's this idea of oh, I'm an owner, I'm the boss, I'm the CEO. But I think there's a lot of people who who take on those roles who take them on because of what they they represent versus understanding what they actually mean. Um and that's pretty much the difference I think between a successful CEO and owner and others is the successful CEO owner owner never says that something isn't their job. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. It's like the difference between uh, like appreciating the clout of a thing versus accepting the responsibility of that same thing. Right. Cause like one of the things that I notice is a lot of people get in their own head now, this might be the flip side of of this same ego reaction, but still the same reaction. When um, when I know somebody who gets a crazy opportunity, but they don't feel they deserve it, their mm-hmm. reaction is usually like doubting themselves, right? Yeah. 
but it's like, hey, you have it, you know, you might as well do a great job, right? You might as well, like somebody reaches out to you. you let's say, you know, I'll just use an example in my life. Um, somebody reached out to me for help with a brand and uh, with, with some products. And it's something that, you know, is really exciting for me. It's something that was unexpected and I could have spent time downing myself, but instead I was like, wow, what an exciting opportunity. You know, let me do my best at it. And all of a sudden, all that energy that you would have used feeling bad or having any sort of negative emotion gets used for creativity and you put out a better product and you get more opportunities like that. But that moment of whether it's arrogance or doubt when you get the opportunity for the first time is usually what what kicks people out of that seat pretty quick. Yeah, it is. It is. And then, you know, just understanding that uh i think there's this i guess what what i what i what i think needs to stop happening is this idea that you're doing something and i think you talk about this a lot is like if you're really an entrepreneur there are thousands of problems out here that need to be solved try to solve a problem don't don't say I just want to be a CEO. I just want to be a boss because like you said, it's, it's ego driven. It's actually asking yourself the question of what do I want to be a boss of and what am I willing to work toward to reach greatness? Obviously things will sometimes fall into your lap that are great opportunities as well, but that usually comes as a result of doing the work first. Right. Yep. And and that's that's really it is it's like do not do not get so caught up in saying i'm a ceo or i'm an owner you know take ownership of whatever it is that you're doing and that's how you become an owner right like yep. versus the title first the title comes after you've earned it if yeah. that makes sense I definitely remember as a kid, like even even just you know several years back, it's like you'd go to a restaurant, you go to a bar, you go to like you know club, whatever. It's like oh, that's the owner, and you're like oh shit, that's the owner, you know? That, like I want to be like that, right? Yeah. Like I want to be that cool. I want everyone to like whisper and like know that I'm the owner. Yeah, and it's like that owner's not thinking about that. That owner's just like, is there enough ice in the back? Like, did we get the shipment of fish that we were supposed to get that got delayed? Like, did we get our cash flow situation corrected because, you know, we have to pay a vendor and, uh, you know, I have to float, float some stuff personally. You know what I mean? Like that's where the, that's where the owner's head is. And, you know, we're thinking they're like the king of the party or whatever the case may be too. So it's like, the other side of this is that it's not necessarily like a great situation to be the owner. It's a, it's a lot of responsibility. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it, 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 it definitely isn't. You know what's funny? You brought up the club example. The clubs that you see the owner <laughs> bottles and partying, yeah. clubs usually don't have a very long lifespan. And, yep. How <laughs> uh, fairly quickly. It's, it's the guy that you see in the back. Um, putting ice ice in the water in the ice machine <laughs> that that's that's winning it's not the guy that's popping bottles of crystal yeah straight up it's friends 
<laughs> straight <know>? up <laughs> but it's it's just such a interesting like i don't it's such an interesting thing to me. The even the idea, you know, it's 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 a phrase now, clout chasing. Yeah. Like the idea of like of chasing acknowledgement and recognition, which we talked about last week, without caring how you get that recognition. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird, weird thing. And you see it on social media. I'm a social media influencer. It's like, for what? <laughs> post pictures everybody posts pictures yeah you have a business do you operate something are you are you hired are you everybody's an influencer everybody's an owner everyone's a boss and it's just like if these people really knew what the fuck it actually meant to be a boss i think 99 percent of them would be like shit i don't want that fucking job yeah <laughs> you're responsible for your employees lives you're responsible for Every every partner that you have, every investor that you have, the the onus falls on you. The Plus yourself, which is the hardest responsibility. Yep. Yep. You got to make sure you're good on every front, on top of everybody else. Yep. You can't have any. You can't. <laughs> your personal issues get get pushed under the rug, right? Nobody cares if you're having a bad day or <laughs> you, know, you just broke up with it or or whatever's happening in your life. When you when you put that hat on and you go into the office or you go into that Zoom call, you've got to be stoic. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it it's not for everyone. That's a good one. We should do a breakdown on stoicism next. I know. I'd love to get Ryan Holiday on our on our podcast yeah somehow someone that knows ryan holiday is listening let's get the daily stoic on our on our podcast that would be a great episode that would be it would be but that was that was that was kind of the uh the trigger for the tiktok and the trigger for the conversation because i just it i think people really do need to be aware of what it is that they're trying to seek so that they don't um seek something that they're not meant to do yeah yeah so you know hopefully at the end of this episode you're feeling a little bit um uplifted uh i know we started with some downer headlines but the goal here is to lift you up both in mood and in um vibration yeah you know for lack of a better word so it's about providing perspective it's about you know us trying to get out of our comfort zones in terms of sharing opinions with you or being transparent about how we see the world and, and our experience in it so that, you know, you can see two humans going through it, trying to get better. And hopefully over, over the weeks, you see that improvement and, uh, you know, maybe some of the things we say trigger something for you and, and they help you grow as well. Yeah. I mean, you got a conversation is, is consistently about two things, which is dreaming big, being yourself and, continue to stay moving toward those goals and those dreams right and hopefully we're we're doing that and giving you the inspiration and if there are things that we could do better definitely let us know um but we thank you so much for tuning in always remember be you you is fly Boys, we get on up.